0: Okay, so I am so excited to have you here. It's, um, it's I mean, I know about the Henry Tudor Society. I found you, um, and then Melita suggested that I contact you for this, so um, I'm just super excited. So I'm just gonna go ahead and introduce you, and then we'll just get into the questions, and you can start talking, huh? So Nathan mean, grew up in the heart of, now you're gonna have to pronounce this for me, Karth Martharshan Come
1: on then, sir. There
0: you go, West Wales. And has long had an interest in Welsh history, the Wars of the Roses, and the early Tudor period. His book, Tudor Wales, was released in 2014, was well-received, followed by a second book called York Pubs in 2016, and his third book, the first full-length biography of the Beaufort family, The House of Beaufort, was just released in 2017, and it's an Amazon number one bestseller for the Wars of the Roses. That's so cool. And he's currently working on his fourth book, Pretenders to the Tudor Crown, for release in 2019. He's the founder of the Henry Tudor Society, and he is featured discussing the Tudors on BBC radio and television, as well as print and online media across the UK. And he has a degree in business and journalism, and he now lives in York, and he works as a technical writer. I'm so glad you're here. And also, you have to go to his website, because there's a picture of you with Lucy Horsley. I have to pull that up. <laughs> so, so how did you first get interested in, in Henry Tudor and in this, ta- in this time period?
1: Um, well, I'm a person who tends to get obsessed with things. Um, so in my mid twenties, I think I went through various periods where I was obsessed with the history of the mafia um the jack the ripper murders uh, and i think i stumbled across a book in about 2009 uh by david starkey the um i think it was henry the virtuous prince um i think i just picked her up in a bookshop and um, david starkey is obviously quite a an easy read to follow as an author so i read that book uh and then i picked up a, a second book a, a fiction book i think it was the um the autobiography of Henry VIII by some someone, George, uh, I'm sorry, Carmen Boras, Margaret George. Margaret George, remember, yeah.
0: Margaret
1: yeah. Um, obviously, you know, the autobiography, it was clearly um, a fiction book, but it was fantastic. The the, the, the detail of that book, I mean, it's, it's classic. Um, it's, it's gripping story. I mean, who is in grip by the story of Henry VIII? Um you know, this kind of king turn turned into a tyrant after being this Renaissance prince uh, early in his reign. So it, as somebody who gets kind of obsessed or latched on to a, to a topic very easily, it, it was the Tudor's turn. Um, it's probably the first obsession i had that... But it's just, it's just carried on. So I guess yeah, we're almost 10 years later and I'm still, still going... Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, it's pretty much David Starkey's books.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> i in my mid twenties.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so then, tell me about Tudor Wales and how you how you wrote Tudor Wales and what you how you put that together and a little bit about Tudor Wales.
1: Uh, I mean, the, the one thing I've missed out probably earlier is that the other obsession, shall we say, I had with Welsh history. Uh, I live in a very in West Wales, which is an area steeped in, you know, the the, the mythological legendary Welsh princes and kings, uh, mm. King Arthurs and so on. Um, I've always enjoyed learning about um, the Welsh princes of the medieval period, um, the, the rebellion of Owen Glyndwr. It's always been something that's kind of been you know, us Welsh, we're, we're proud of Welsh and we, we love studying our history. Then, of course, came the, the Tudors. So, on one hand, I'm reading all these historical books about the Welsh princes. On the other hand, I'm reading the Tudors. And then somewhere, I, I picked up, hmm, Henry VIII's dad was born in Wales. Let's check. Oh, no, he's born in Pembroke, not, not so far from where I'm. I'm from, uh, my ancestors in fact uh, are Pembroke folk. And then you start digging a little bit deeper and before long, the two, the two have merged. So my Welsh history and my Tudor history have merged into one obsession. Mm-hmm. I'm doing a bit of searching, trying to find some more books about the Welsh Tudors. And there aren't, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the, the one book that I came across was the making of the Tudor dynasty by Ralph Griffiths and uh, R.S. Thomas, written in 1985, I believe. And that's a fantastic book. Again, it's written ve- very uh, in a simple manner, easy to follow narrative, but, but that was it. There's nowhere else to go. We've got one book, we've had a little bit of a tantalizing insight into the fact that the two does Welsh and nothing else. So I wrote the book that I wanted to read. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's as simple as that. Uh, I do have to thank Susanna Lipscomb because I kind of ripped her off a little bit uh, in that she wrote, obviously, that book, The, the Visitor's uh, the Companion Guide to, to Tudor England. So I kind of wrote a blog that was kind of the Visitor's Companion Guide to Tudor Wales because bit by bit, as I was visiting all these sites, I did start to notice that there was actually cheeky around in Wales. Um, uh, up until that point, I was visiting Hampton Court. I was visiting, you know, Stratford-upon-Avon. Uh, then you obviously got Hever Castle and so on. But then I noticed, well, we've got Pembroke Castle, uh, a Tudor location, Carmarthen Castle, Edmund Tudor died there. Uh, Lamphy Bishop's Temby, which was the, the town of Jasper Tudor. Uh, and so on, one by one, they slowly started uh, adding up, so I wrote a blog. You know, it was a a couple of thousand words, nothing major, just um, a couple of paragraphs for each location, and my publisher noticed it, and that's where they then, would you like to kind of explore this a little bit, a little bit bigger, you know? You know, with a little bit of a, a nudge, I did it, and that's where, well, that's where Tudor Wills came from, so um, yeah, it, it, I ripped off Suzanne Scum a little bit um, and I pretty much wrote the book that I wanted to read, yeah. and there we are. So what are
0: the best uh, places to visit to get Tudor Welsh history? Like you mentioned, Pamela's yeah. and Tanby. Yeah, I mean,
1: in my opinion, I'm a little bit biased on the one hand uh, I am from West Wales, so I obviously think it's the greatest place in the world. Um, but nobody can dis- discount the fact that there's so much Tudor history there. Uh, and I've, I've long started campaigning that it almost should be regarded as Tudor country, if, if you want. Um, I now live in York and I, I used to read between, between the two places and you'd pass through a Warwickshire, for example, and Warwickshire would have on their their signs uh, Shakespeare County. You'd go to Nottinghamshire, Robin Hood County. And I always said, Pembrokeshire needs to have those road signs changed to be called Tudor County, because they've got everything. I mean, uh, just just the places I mentioned earlier. um, We could start off with uh, Carmarthorn Castle, for example. It's just outside Pembrokeshire in Carmarthenshire. That's where Edmund Tudor died uh, in November 1456. We've got Pembroke Castle, obviously where Henry Tudor was born. Lampley Bishop's Palace, where he may have been conceived. Uh, Temby, Jasper Tudor's town. And then we also have St David's Cathedral, which is where Edmund Tudor's tomb eventually ended up. So in a very short... um, short drive of maybe 20, 30 miles, you've got all of these locations uh, and also Caro Castle, which has just popped to mind, which was the home of uh, Reese of Thomas, mm. uh, considered the kind of Hampton Court of Wales, if you want. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I've always wanted everyone to get down the M4 motorway from England and come straight into West Wales because it, it's... It, there's some gems that are down there that people have yet to discover and Mm. now of course you have the Henry Tudor statue down there so just another reason for people to come on down
0: Mm. cool Um, Mm. so tell me a little bit about the Welsh Tudors, there's Owen and Jasper obviously and you mentioned Recep Thomas what what can you tell me about what the Tudors were doing in Wales and their, their story. I mean, I know
1: yes. wealthy, they are were there because they were born there. I mean, to, to first of all put things in very simplistic terms, we may have this idea of Wales as there is now, but historically it was pretty much um, many small kingdoms. Uh, and to make it more simplistic, generally speaking we had a, a powerful North Welsh kingdom and a powerful South Welsh kingdom. Um, two separate Separate royal families, etc. Now, in the 13th century, the king of North Wales was uh, Prince Huelin, uh and we know him as Prince Caelan the Great. And his seneschal, or uh, his right hand man, so to speak, was a, a man called Ednafid Vachan. Um, now, Ednafid seemed to be uh, a very capable soldier and politician. Um, And he was a minister of Wales, shall we say. And he came from a a long line of of Welshmen that allegedly went all the way back um, to to the mythical founders of Wales, uh, going back to Troy and, uh, you know, you're talking kind of King Arthur, legendary status. Um, So they had this really deep-rooted connection to Wales. Now, his descendants themselves were amongst the most powerful men in North Wales. Uh, Wales lost their independence in, in 1282 to England, mm-hmm. um, but, but the Tudors, or, or what became known as the Tudors, I should say, had Nuffeds, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. They remained quite important in North Wales. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they were the only Welshmen at one point who actually were allowed to hold a public office um, because when the English took over Wales, all Welshmen were, were banned from holding public office and so on. There, there was something about them that they were given uh, this kind of responsibility. Now, furthermore, Ed Nuffert actually married um, the daughter of the South Welsh king. So, they were a North Welsh political family, but with royal blood from the daughter of the South Welsh king. Which is why we always sometimes hear that, oh, they weren't from any balladist, the the children of this politician. Well, well, that's not true. They did have ancient Welsh blood, uh, mm. ancient Welsh royal blood. Now, at the start of the 14th, sorry, 15th century, Wales erupted into rebellion uh, under Owain Glinder, who for those uninitiated let's just call him the welsh william wallace um he tried to lead a, a welsh uprising almost came, became successful but ultimately failed his first cousins were the tudors they were the grandparents of uh, owen tudor sorry the parents of owen tudor so they rebelled against english rule Ironically, the House of Lancaster. They were against the Lancastrians. um, And they obviously tried their best to to place their cousin on that failed. And this probably led to Owen Tudor, as a child, leaving Wales where his family's fortunes had been destroyed. The family had lost everything. They'd lost their home, their estates. They'd lost their position as the most powerful family in North Wales. Um, for reasons that we, we don't exactly know, Owen ended up in London uh, or England in general. And that's where he slowly started to to build his way up to a point where he managed to eventually marry uh, the Dowager Queen of England, uh, Catherine de Valois, which has recently become quite, a, quite an historical romantic fiction kind of storyline, I guess. Yeah. Um, but, but, but yeah, I mean, those Tudors, they were always knocking about. We, we sometimes hear that Henry Tudor was born to this low-nothing Welsh ancestry, but it, it's it's rubbish, I'm afraid. It, it's, it's slander, it's maligning, his background, because they came from the ancient Welsh royal blood of these islands. Um, which, if you speak to certain Welsh people, they would argue it's far more prestigious than the English royal blood or the French royal blood uh, and so on. Mm. So there we go. The Welsh Tudors. Very important people. Yeah,
0: you're really passionate <laughs> about this. I love it. And so that then leads you...
1: I, I, don't, I don't get to talk about it often, so... <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, it's great. So then tell me about the Henry Tudor Society and what your work with that is.
1: Yeah. It's it's similar to the, the Tudor Wales idea. Um, I got really into Henry Tudor. I was you know studying him, reading everything I could possibly get my hands on. Uh, I, I'm you know I'm thirty one. I'm, I'm a child of social media, so it's all well and good having the books and stuff. But I want to see what's on the internet. You know, you do a bit of searching. Nothing. You know, there's nothing about Henry Tudor. Nothing about Henry um, Henry the Seventh. You know, going back maybe two thousand and eleven ish, and then of course came the discovery of Richard the Third. Mm. So all of a sudden, the Richard Third Society was in the news a lot. I hadn't really heard of it too much about it, and I remember I was sitting, I was visiting my. She's my wife now, but she was my then girlfriend. I was visiting her, and while she was at work, I was actually sat on on the bed uh, watching the live. Uh, the press conference, which unveiled that it was actually Richard III, you know, the Richard III Society, left, right, centre, and I thought, you know, they could do the Henry Tudor Society. Um, why wouldn't that work? So I, I did a bit of research, I had a look around, and, yeah, I'm coming across some other societies then. Um, as I mentioned earlier, sometimes I I, I, uh, I I look into the Jack the Ripper murders and there's a society that, that studies that called the Whitechapel Society and they're fantastic you know they put on these great conferences um, monthly talks in the east end of London you know me and my wife we, we've been to quite a few of them but the great kind of social events education events so I thought you know societies are definitely um, they're definitely out there so let's set them up so you know Facebook a couple of minutes later Henry Tudor Society and then the likes started coming in. Uh, well, for every one like I got, I think I got about five Ricardian trolls <laughs> coming on giving me grief. Yeah. Um, they, they were down my throat for the first couple of weeks, but gradually I think they all just uh, disappeared and went back whence they came. And here we are, you know, three or four years later with a, an online society with 17,000 likes and a website. Mm-hmm. Um, and so on. So, so cool. again, I, it, it's creating something that I wanted as a consumer. So, mm-hmm. if no one else is going to do it, I'll do it. <laughs> right,
0: right, for sure. So, tell me what your aim is. You know, I know. The Ricardians are out there saving Richard III's reputation and saying he didn't kill the princes in the Tower and all of that kind of stuff. Um, what yeah. what is kind of your mission statement and why does why do you think we the world needs a Henry Tudor Society and like what do we, what kind of um, I, I suppose sort of ideas about him do we have that we need to rework and yeah. yeah.
1: Well, I mean, one of the reasons I created the page as well was that I think a lot of my friends and a lot of my social um, colleagues were sick to death of my Tudor posts. Um, You know, all my friends are into rugby, they're into football. Uh, People I work with, they're perhaps into uh, boxing, Game of Thrones, uh, whatever the case might be. And here I am, all of a sudden hammering their news feeds with Tudor this, Tudor that. Nobody cared. You know, people used to say, we don't care, you're boring us. Create the page, move it there, and like-minded people can start to, to, um, to discuss. I, I, I've got no grand aim of, you know, making Henry Tudor this amazing, wonderful um, saint. I, I think he's a very interesting person to study. Um, I, I do think, ironically, that he is now perhaps the malign person, the malign king, in the last couple of years, because there's this idea that we want to unmalign Richard III. What do we do? Let's attack Henry VII. I don't see why that is so... They're not exclusive. I mean, study Richard III, work on malign him, but it doesn't mean everything on this side is wrong. You know, the the world is not black or white. It's more complex than that. So at first, it's a a place just for me to kind of post some interesting Henry Tudor pictures. I spend a lot of my time visiting historical sites. I know the vast majority of my followers are American. You know, perhaps they're never going to see this. For them, looking at... I don't know, Warwick Castle or, or Hampton Court. It, for me, looking at New York, going, oh, I'd love to go to New York again, or, or, or whatever the case might be. But there's definitely a, a concerted attempt to try and at least answer. It's a two-way street. I can post stuff for Henry, but I also see a lot of the stuff coming back. Oh, Henry did this, Henry said that, but he didn't. So let's try and answer that. A couple of days ago, a couple of weeks ago, I read Josephine Tay's uh, The Daughter of Time. All the Facebook groups I'm in, all the websites I go on, you always get the same idea about Henry Tudor was a bad man. Henry Tudor dated the brain of Bosworth the day before um, the battle. What an evil, horrible man. It was a rel- he did it, but it, ultimately it was irrelevant. You know, nobody lost their lives through it. Nobody lost a land through it. It's just nonsense, really. You know, Henry Tudor did this. Henry Tudor said that, and it all comes down to Josephine Tey's book, *The Daughter of Time*. So I see a lot of these one-dimensional, uh, one-dimensional arguments against Henry Tudor on these Facebook groups that can be defeated just by saying, "Well, he didn't do it. This is what happened. Sure. No, no, you're wrong," I and mean, then you know the, 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 there's no debate there's no there's no interest in listening to the debate so then we'll use the facebook page to hopefully try and correct some some myths and some some untruths shall we say <laughs> uh and what, what i particularly like is the, the the bbc history hot 100 has just come out uh-huh. uh you know the 100 uh, most in, most talked about or historical figures yeah, Richard came first. Of course Richard's going to come first. But uh, Henry came 12th, which I, I think is fantastic. I mean, going back to a couple of years ago, and I didn't know, I couldn't find anything about Henry Tudor. You know, he's just this very little written about Welsh English king who in books about the Tudors generally got the introduction part, introduction chapter before moved on to Henry VIII. You know, oh, Henry the Seventh won the... The throne of Bosworth. He reigned for 24 years. He died. Anyway, Henry VIII. Here we go. Anne Boleyn, wives. Um, now, the sheer amount of books that's come out uh, about him. He's like I said, he's 12th in the history hot 100. 17,000 people like a simple Facebook page of him So you know, people are catching on. I guess you know they're trying to to find the real Henry Tudor. Um, just as long as Philip gregory doesn't destroy him too much with the white queen it's The like reason why we need a henry tudor society i guess but yeah
0: yeah yeah you know
1: I, I'm, I'm not gonna try and uh preach to people if they don't care they don't care you know some people are never gonna listen so yeah uh, well know.
0: what what do you think are two or three of kind of the stereotypes of henry tudor that we have and that
1: aren't true so you could disprove debunk debunking henry Uh, debunking henry well uh (laughs) that he was a miser you know henry tudor was a mean old miser that is straight up josephine tay it comes from the daughter of time and it gets thrown at at my society it gets thrown at other people online almost verbatim from the book you know he was so miserly but that's absolute gibberish if you will. um there's a particular quote i i recall from i think it was the milanese ambassador who visited the tudor court and he noted that when he came to see henry he stood behind the throne and he was in a very rich collar full of giant pearls and diamonds um, I think he said that he had, on top, he had a big pear-shaped pearl. You know, this was a king who looked rich when he wanted to, uh, and he did. Uh, he regularly bought uh, presents for his daughters. Uh, in no way, shape, or form is there evidence that Elizabeth of York was kept with tin foil on a shawl, or the phrase might be. Um, One only has to look at what happened at Sheen Palace in 1497. Uh, You know, this historic English royal palace burned to the ground. Henry rebuilt it and it was a magnificent Tudor palace that, you know, lived on through the reign of Elizabeth I. Mm. Uh, One of the most magnificent palaces in, uh, in Europe. You know, you don't do this if you're a miser. You don't spend money. He had a gambling addiction, you know, he regularly gambled playing cards. Again, doesn't read like a miser to me. Yeah. Um, so, so yes, de- definitely the, the miser thing is one of the most easily debunked myths, yet it persists. Uh, people only want to believe what they want to believe. Um, the, the thing about Henry Tudor being this mean man, again, there's so much evidence that when people met him, he was personable, affable. Uh, he had a cheery countenance when he spoke to people. You know, this was a man who was allegedly quite charismatic, um, but, you know, apparently he was mean. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the one that I hold quite dear to myself is that Henry Tudor didn't care about whales. He hated whales. Once he left, he used them to win the crown and then he left. But Again, the evidence is overwhelming that Wales meant something to him. We would like, you know, in this day and age to try and understand his idea of Welshness and how we understand it. But we have this myth that Henry Tudor didn't care about the Welsh, uh, his Welsh ancestry, but he had a Welsh dragon on his coat of arms. Mm. Uh, He was the first English monarch himself to actually issue a proclamation where he was known as. Uh, the King of England and of France, the Lord of Ireland and Prince of Wales. Mm. No other English king ever called themselves the Prince of Wales. Uh, He obviously dropped that when Arthur took on the title. Um, St David's Day, for example, he was the first king of England who commemorated St David's Day on the 1st of March. All of his Welsh soldiers uh, in his employ, he gave them (laughs) leeks. stereotypical Mm -hmm. and he gave them money for their feasts Mm -hmm. so uh, that is something I like to try and dispel is this idea that Henry Tudor didn't care for Wales because again the the evidence is is against that so uh, all we can do is keep on harboring the point and hopefully people will uh, will pick up.
0: Yeah that's great Um, so then tell me a little bit about your new book about the Beauforts and what went into writing that.
1: K.L. Clark recently wrote a book called uh, The Nevilles and I thought that's quite an interesting little project because they're a fascinating family uh, and there's so much to write about. So what about one similar um, but about the Beauforts? Now my knowledge of the Beauforts really was Margaret Beaufort, you know the mother of Henry VII you can't learn about Henry Tudor without knowing about Margaret Beaufort. so I knew her story quite well but I didn't quite know how the rest of it all came together. Um, generally speaking, I, I only really studied the Wars of the Roses period. So the Hundred Years War, the, the, um, Henry V's great victory at Argincourt, that's never really been something I've been in, interested in. So this was a book that was an opportunity really just to try and prod a little further back in history and to see, see what was there. So, Yeah, um, I decided to take on, I I pitched the publisher really about the idea of this book. I thought it it could work well, a kind of 100 year biography, because really that's all the Beauforts were around for, is 100 years. Um, They were born in the 1370s to John of Gaunt, uh, his, his four bastard children, and they the male line was completely destroyed by 1471 at the Battle of Tewkesbury, which is how the, the the lineage went on to the Tudors through Margaret, because all the male members had all been killed out. It's um, so a case of going back, looking at all the original, the source material, uh, as much of the source material as possible, the, the chronicles, um, the, the patent rolls, you're looking at how and when they were given their land grants uh, etc and trying to put it into sort of coherent biography which proved to be a lot harder than i anticipated but it's uh, i'm a little bit biased but i think the buffards are an unbelievable family that there's so many great personalities and characters that are that exist it's i i'm writing a new talk at the moment to give uh, to give soon for the launch of the book. And at first, I thought I'd give a quick overview. It's impossible, there's just too many fascinating people within the 100 years. So I had to pick one. But in, in theory, I could probably give 10 talks and 10 different Beaufort's. They're just. Yeah.
0: Uh, what did you pick for your talk?
1: Uh, Thomas Beaufort. Now, now, Thomas Beaufort was the youngest we had John Beaufort um we had Henry Beaufort Thomas Beaufort and John Beaufort now the eldest John Beaufort you know he he was the one who after the beauforts were legitimized became the nobleman so he became the earl of uh, the earl of somerset he was the the direct ancestor of henry tudor um henry beaufort became the churchman so he entered the church he became uh, bishop of Winchester, bishop of Lincoln, and eventually cardinal of England. So Thomas Beaufort was the third son, illegitimate son, of a duke. So there was really nothing for him to do other than become a soldier. You know, maybe with a bit of luck, he might be able to to do something. But his his life is just one trajectory straight to the top, and that's simply because of the the man he was. I've never come across a more capable person. I mean, he started off quite minor, uh, the captain of Ludlow Castle, um, and he got appointed the Admiral of the of the fleet, which is quite a grand title today, but back then, the fleet wasn't, it wasn't up too much. Um, you know, a couple of ships just to, just to fend around the coast, perhaps stop piracy. But, you know, within a couple of years, he was granted not just the admiral of the fleet for for England, but Ireland, Aquitaine, which was still under in France, which was still under English governorship, and Picardy. Uh, he soon became such a capable soldier that when war was declared with France in in fourteen thirteen, it was he who was sent abroad, uh, or across the Channel rather, to lead the lead the attack. For that, he was made the Earl of Dorset. So, so he had built himself up from a soldier to become an earl, but, which was a great start. But he just carried on. I mean, we had, when Henry V went to war, war with France, um, obviously that famous victory at Agincourt and all that, uh, the English had taken the town of Harfleur uh, on the French coast. And it was Thomas who was asked to stay behind and hold that town while the main English army went back to England for the winter, because when they were coming back, they needed so much land. So it was in Thomas Beaufort's hands to hold that. And the French, they bombarded him all through the winter. They kept on at him and he held off that town. Um, he held off the, the attacks, rather. So Henry V managed to come back and on went the English. Uh, you know, within a couple of years, they'd taken most of, the, most of northern France. So so I, I speculate that this wouldn't have happened. Henry V would have been as successful as he would have been if it wasn't for Thomas Beaufort, who was his uncle holding on for dear life in France. And He did so well that he was given a dukedom, so he was became the Duke of Exeter. So at the time he became the Duke, there were only three other Dukes in England at that time, and they were all the King's brothers. So you have the four royal sons, and then Thomas Beaufort. Mm. You know, it was, it was a sheer sign of how esteemed this man was. Mm. Didn't finish there, you know. You thought, okay, this, this third son, he's built himself up to become a duke. You know, uh, astonishing. But Henry V then died, uh, leaving England with a nine-month-old um, old king. Who better to entrust this child than to Thomas Beaufort. So he must have had something about him The fifth thought, you know, I've got my brothers. I've got, uh, you know, Cardinal Beaufort. You've got all these great men in England at the time. But it's Thomas Beaufort who gives this son over. Um, and, yeah, for the next four or five years, Thomas Beaufort remained the, the, the guardian of the young Henry Sixth, Henry And it's a shame, really, that he died uh, when Henry... The young Henry VI was about five or six years old because he had managed to perhaps live on and knows what he may have been able to do with that child king because, you know, as we know, Henry VI went on to become, uh, you know, a very weak and inefficient king. Mm -hmm. So it's one of them great what ifs, what if Thomas Beaufort lived on? But I just find him a fascinating character. I think he's. Probably the most underrated member or underrated person in the 15th century. I mean, uh, and the people around him, including three, uh, you know, two Lancastrian kings, Henry the Fourth and Henry the Fifth, they really trusted him. You know, they put everything mm. in his hands, mm. uh, and he never let anybody down. Mm. But alas, we don't really remember him today. You know, he's not really a a known person you know but uh, until this that's this is going to make it more
0: you are now doing <laughs> pr for Wales. you're doing pr <laughs> for henry tudor and now thomas beaufort so
1: there'll be a thomas beaufort society soon you are. <laughs> 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 that's
0: great um so what about tell me about your future projects then about the new book and the what well, you tell me
1: yeah, yeah um, it, it's not really something I've kind of announced too much so far because I'm still trying to push the Beauforts. But the book is already underway. I'm about four chapters in. It's working title is Pretenders to the Throne or Pretenders to the Crown or something of that ilk. It's going to be the story of uh, Lambert Simnel and Perkin Walkbeck, you know, the, the, the two guys who try to take henry Tudor's throne now i'm gonna try not to get bogged down in the whole princes of the tower um i'm not m- massively interested in trying to speculate whether the princes in the tower did they survive because we don't know you know i'll leave that to to, to other authors to, to investigate it's uh, my personal is that we don't know we're never going to know it's a mystery there's doesn't appear to be any evidence out there to to, to support theories, etc. Not so much who Lambert Simnel was, but what did he do? You know, w- what were the causes and effects of his rebellion in 1487? So, who were the main characters? You know, w- what what was Henry Tudor doing when these people were trying to invade his country? Mm-hmm. So, Francis Lovell, Richard III's great friend, who was the man behind these rebellions. Mm-hmm. Why was he behind them, uh, and what did he achieve? The Battle of Stoke Field in 1487, which is the last ever battle of the Wars of the Roses. You know, not not Bosworth, as most people think. What happened? You know, where did the two armies come from? Where did they fight? So the book is going to be the story about these these pretenders and what exactly happened without, you know, trying to get bogged down too much on the, the mystery and who, who they were. So there's also, um, everyone knows of Lambert Simnel, everyone knows of Perky Warbeck, you know, two fantastic names, mm. you know, they, they've got to be made up. Um, incredible names, shady characters, you know, you know scared the bejesus out of Henry VII for, for a decade. But there's also a third pretender um, called Ralph Wilford, which people don't people don't know about, and I'm look, particularly looking forward to trying to get stuck into to finding a bit a bit more. But I mean, all, all we ever get told is that he came, he appeared, he said he was a prince, and they hung him. <laughs> um, but I'm trying to find out a bit more about him. So.
0: Tell me what you know about him. What what years were that? Where did he? What do we know?
1: about him? I haven't quite got there yet, so I just know that he was hanged. (laughs) Uh, 1499, so it's the same year, incidentally, that Perkin Warbeck was hanged, uh, along with the Earl of War, which is one of the kind of crimes against Henry VII, if you will. Um, Tragedy, you know, very very unfortunate circumstances. Mm -hmm. But there was obviously something going on that year that was a very kind of... um, tumultuous year really plus we had the whole spanish wedding and uh, uh being being discussed and raised but so i'm looking forward to trying to work out where exactly this, this ralph fit mm. in and mm. why you know, read my book in a couple of years and hopefully i'll have i'll have something <laughs>
0: nice nice so that's a good segue where can people learn more about you and how can people follow you and learn more about your projects
1: um, the, the Henry Tudor Society Facebook page is obviously a, a start, you know, it's it's very dif- difficult to kind of sometimes try and uh, separate the two things, you know. I, I do sometimes try and, you know, the society says this, the society says that, but it's hard to get away from the fact sometimes that it is actually me. Um, so y- if you follow following the society, you'll definitely come across quite a bit about what I post. Um, I've recently set up an author page on Facebook. Uh, so I think it's done as Nathan I Amin mean, Author, um, which has proven actually to be quite enjoyable. I I, I always felt propsy was a bit, you know, a, a little bit vain or a little bit um, narcissistic, really, because who am I? You know, who why is anyone going to want to like my page? And um, But, but yeah, you know, it, it's been a good start. I, I put a video on the other night, and it's getting a bit of attention, so... Because uh, I got four cats, so so one of the cats kind of got in the way. Okay. Um, See, so, so yeah, definitely, I mean, you know, we are a social media generation these days, so um, I do have a website, but I think the way the world is going, websites are perhaps going to become more landing pages as people move on to, to Facebook and Twitter uh, or podcasts even, which is a, another way to, to get to hear us. Yeah,
0: yeah, for sure sure well thank you so much for uh is there anything else is there anything else you want to talk about is there anything else you want to plug uh
1: no no not really just uh, remember uh, you know henry tudor he was not a miser uh I, i'm come to wales there's plenty of tudor Tudor sites
0: okay perfect perfect well thank you so much for this and uh, no problem